It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Whether you're going to watch the Bengals' season finale from your couch, if you're going to Paul Brown Stadium, Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football. Watching. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, along with your other host, James Rapine. Today, we are going to take one last look back at the successful week that was Week 16 down in Houston, the offense was firing on all cylinders. I rewatched the game mostly for the offensive line, but I noticed some things that I really liked in terms of game plan and certainly in terms of execution. Brandon Allen, just as fantastic as his FedEx Air Player of the Week nomination and PFF grade over 90 would suggest. Then, James, it's Mock Draft Monday. There are some implications for draft status. The Bengals currently sitting at the fifth pick. But there is a lot on the line in week 17. And we get into some tie-breaking scenarios before looking at what are the Bengals' options now, assuming that offensive lineman Penny Sewell is unavailable by the time they get to pick in the draft. But James, I have some observations that I would like to talk about about the offense in yesterday's game, so let's get started there. In my rewatch of the Houston Texans game, James, I think that the first thing that stood out to me is the nature of the screen game that the Bengals had going early. I think that they saw something on tape in terms of the way the Houston linebackers reacted to play-action passes, and instead of going after them with just a general play-action game, although there were some play-action shots that we saw in the second half in particular that the Bengals also executed very well, they came out with a plan to go play-action screen. The very first play of the game, Giovanni Bernard takes a screen 20-some yards out toward midfield, and it's a play-action screen. And what you see on that play is as soon as the Texans linebackers and maybe corner on that side of the field, the play side of the field where the play fake went, see that it's play-action, they turn and sprint back to try to get to their zones. And while their back is to the line of scrimmage, the ball is going to Giovanni Bernard with a couple offensive linemen getting out to start blocking for the screen game. So I thought that that was a really good identification from the Bengals coaching staff, and they exploited it to great effect, really. I mean, the screen game got the offense going on the right foot in a big way in this game. They got off to a hot start using that. I think that helped Brandon Allen get into a rhythm and build his confidence. I mean, look, it's it's hard enough to contain someone with a, a bad defense like that, if you're Houston, the last thing you want to do is give him some layups early on so he's feeling it. And, and I think that's what that did, right? And, and so, yeah, the screen game got going. And it, it's funny, last week, the Locked On Texans guys, they told me Ryan Finley at the time, and obviously Brandon Allen got the nod because of health, but Ryan Finley at the time was going to carve him up. And I was like, ah, Ryan Finley. Well, 
as much as we want to give Brandon Allen credit, I, I do think that this coaching staff, the way they were able to establish the screen game and the quick passes and get chunk plays, everyone starts believing. And so when that happens in the second half, when Deshaun Watson is throwing haymakers and David Johnson throws it back to 2017 and this Texans team, at least on offense, looks like the team that had the Chiefs on the ropes last year in the playoffs, at least offensively, your confidence is up that you can compete with that. And the Bengals did. And it started with that the screen stuff. So it doesn't surprise me at all that when you went back that that, that stood out because I think that that was kind of – the key that got everything going, that that got their confidence in it, and and really allowed them and propelled them to to that second win in six days. And there was a series of adjustments that I think really kept that going. As you said, the Houston Texans punched back in a big way in the second half. Deshaun Watson does that. He plays hero ball better than maybe any other quarterback in the NFL because he doesn't have the team around him, and he finds a way to make these games competitive anyway. And, you know, I think they have a bigger challenge next week. Baltimore is a much better defense, so it'll be harder to design for that game, harder to design how to attack that scheme. But the adjustments went from screen game to Houston sitting on the short stuff in the passing game to now we're going to exploit you vertically. So they kind of move their way downfield in terms of where they're targeting. They start to key in on the screens a little bit. Now we're going to go intermediate. They start to key in on the comeback routes and the quick outs that we're running to try to protect the offensive line because Brandon Allen was getting the ball out very quickly for the most part. I think in the first half, he didn't have a single pass that he held onto the snap for more than two seconds before he threw it. He did have 11 passes on the day, according to PFF, that he held on for more than two and a half seconds. He was 11 of 11 on those passes, including that beautiful slot fade touchdown pass to T. Higgins when he was really feeling it. Brandon Allen had a fantastic day throwing downfield, and that all came about because of an in-game adjustment to the fact that the Texans were sitting on all the underneath stuff. So I think just some kudos goes to the offensive coaching staff for the Bengals. Yes, very bad defense, but they found the ways to exploit it. And this is two games in a row now, Jake, where the this offensive staff has made in-game adjustments. Ryan Finley pulling the ball and running it into the end zone against the Steelers on Monday night with the game on the line. Yeah, th- that was an in-game adjustment. That was something that not necessarily they planned, but they pivoted to when they saw how the Steelers were playing things. And so I-, I think Zach and Brian deserve a lot of credit, Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan, and the rest of the guys, for what they've done over the past six days. It- it's really a testament to this coaching staff, and it's something, Jake, that we've talked about negatively. And I know I've certainly ha- hammered it home. The Bengals hired an offensive coach. In, in Zach Taylor, there these guys, this coaching staff is supposed to thrive on this side of the ball. And the the five games going into that Pittsburgh game, they averaged eight point six points per game on offense. So th- there was reason why we were so damn negative. There there is, but they do seem to have turned a corner. And the fact that in six days they pivoted to the run and made multiple adjustments against the Steelers, and then did the the exact same thing. And you're right, they stretched the field. I don't necessarily think that was the game plan going against Houston, but in-game adjustments. They decided to to stretch the field in the second half. I think that those are two really crucial things that Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan, and company deserve credit for. And here's the other thing, and the other thing that we need to remember, because it, it looked a little better on Sunday. They're still working with, by far, and I'm going to be nice, a below-average offensive line. 
So when you're talking about the ceiling, well, yeah, Joe Mixon's out, Joe Burrow's out, Tyler Boyd was out, all these guys were out, and I get it, it was a bad Texans defense. But not just that, you're talking about a below-average offensive line as well. And I think that offensive line is something that they're aware of. I think they know that it has forced their hand a little bit on offense in terms of design. I mean, you look at the grades, they all graded out actually pretty well in pass blocking. They didn't run block particularly well. I think that that reflects exactly what was asked of the offensive line, though. Like I said earlier, Brandon Allen mostly was catching and throwing. There were a few plays where they went play action shot. They kept in guys. They ran two three-man routes. And they were still successful there. So to their credit, they did a really good job on J.J. Watt, who is the only threatening pass rusher that Houston can throw at you. So credit them for that, absolutely. Outside of that, really not much of a threat coming from this Houston defense. And they really got him on their heels, I think, with the way they were running play action, the way they were running the screen game. And then by the end of the game, they, they started going to the, some of the play action shots. They started going deep a little bit more. But even a lot of those deep balls were coming out two seconds, 2.3 seconds, 2.6 seconds after the snap. There, there wasn't a whole lot of we're going we're gonna to try to run a three-second long developing double move kind of thing. That is something that this offense can't do. And they've also made some adjustments like the offensive tackle fold running play that we've talked about on the podcast before. Honestly, I think Samaj P. Ryan gets all the credit for the running game doing what it did. He fit through some very small holes. He broke some tackles that led to some of those big gains. So I think there's still a lot of work to do on the offensive line. So despite the, the credit that I want to give to the offensive design, particularly in the passing game and particularly for Samaj P. Ryan, who had a fantastic game, maybe the best game of his career, there's a lot of work to be done on the offensive line. And it's going to be a little bit harder perhaps because they won't have that third overall pick in the draft. We'll talk about their draft options coming up next. The Bengals opened as a double digit home underdog for the second time in three weeks. You like the Bengals chances to win three straight? Well, you can go to bet online and put your money where your mouth is. There's one place That has you covered one place we trust here on Locked on Bengals. It's betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. The NFL playoffs are almost here. Take advantage of that bonus now so you can cash in in January and February. College football bowl season is here. Maybe I got some Bearcat fans in the audience like me. They're underdogs against Georgia this week hopefully the bearcats can come out victorious take advantage of it don't sit on the sidelines anymore get in on the action don't forget to use that promo code locked on to receive a 50 percent welcome bonus with your first deposit bet online your online sportsbook experts this locked on podcast is brought to you by home chef now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down how are your resolutions coming one of mine was to order less takeout cook more at home but i'll be honest i haven't been consistent that is until i found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting 
shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. I think the draft got a whole lot more interesting, James. The Bengals no longer sitting at third where you and I, I think, both had them written in pen. You crossed it off because you can't erase pen or maybe we started a new piece of paper. And at this point, it's fairly unlikely that the Bengals get back to the third pick. In order for that to happen, the Bengals would have to lose and Atlanta and Houston would have to win. And then Philadelphia becomes a wild card. Atlanta plays Tampa think that there's still something on the line for Tampa in that game. I don't think that you figure that Matt Ryan suddenly figures out how to beat Tom Brady this time in week 17 going into the playoffs. And Houston, I just, I mean, we just saw how bad they are. I mean, I guess Deshaun Watson, anything can happen, but a lot on the line there for Tennessee. And so that will be an interesting game to watch. It's possible. I could see that one happening more than I could see the Atlanta win happening, right? Yeah, neither one is likely, but the Bengals beating the Steelers wasn't likely either, right? So you don't want to rule it out. So there is a very unlikely path to the third pick, but it's the the most likely outcome, I would say, is fifth. But they could drop as well, even with a loss. Explain this super complex tiebreaker scenario with the Eagles if both teams lose, where the Eagles could jump the Bengals from sixth to fifth. Yeah, so if all four teams lose... It comes down to a tiebreaker between the Eagles and the Bengals. And the first tiebreaker for non-conference teams is head-to-head record. Usually when non-conference teams have played each other, that head-to-head record isn't 0-0-1. And, and usually that's the end of it. Usually the strength of schedule thing for non-conference opponents in, that, that have played each other doesn't come up. It does come up this year. These teams share a lot of opponents. Obviously, they both played the AFC North. They both played the NFC East. It's all divisional games in the final week of the season. So no matter what, those games wash out to 500. So those games don't matter. Last night's game, last night being Sunday night's game, Green Bay, Tennessee, that broke the tie that existed in strength of schedule between these teams going into Sunday night football. So it's no longer tied, but that doesn't mean that it's over. The tiebreaker will change. In week 17, there are four games that you care about when it comes to Bengals draft status, James. The first one is the Los Angeles Chargers play Kansas City. I'm not sure if Kansas City is going to play its starters in this game. They have locked up the number one seed in the AFC. They've locked up that by. I find it very unlikely that they play their starters. Does that mean they lose the game? I don't know. They've got a pretty good coaching staff, but I think that there's a pretty good chance the Chargers can beat the the Kansas City bench guys. The second game you care about is Miami. Miami plays Buffalo. Both teams need this game. If Miami loses, that's good news for the Bengals. The Bengals play Miami. The Bengals did not play the Bills. And so you want Miami to lose that game. You also want the Chargers to lose to Kansas City. That's the AFC side. The NFC side, meaning the opponents that the Eagles have that the Bengals did not have, are New Orleans and Green Bay. New Orleans plays Carolina. 
I think New Orleans needs this game. I think there are still seeding implications there. I think they'll beat Carolina. Green Bay is at Chicago. Green Bay is a much better team. I'm not sure. Green Bay, I think, is still fighting for that number one seed in the NFC. And so I think they need to win that game. I think they win that game. So things look to me to be promising for the Bengals to win this tiebreaker, but it's a it's a rabbit hole. I went down a rabbit hole last night looking this stuff up. And it, it really stinks that it's not as simple as the Bengals lose, they stay at fifth, right? I mean, they could lose 42 to nothing on Sunday, and I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that could happen, and they could fall in the draft order, which would really be a nightmare, which would really stink. And hopefully it doesn't happen. Hopefully we're talking about them uh, either winning and staying put because the Eagles win and some of these other teams win or losing. And if they do lose, they move up with the loss, you know, but uh, I do think the most likely outcome, as you just broke that down, it does seem to be staying at fifth and staying at five, which I'm fine with five. I, I look picking third after picking first. That's that's pretty damn early. I like five. Five might be a little more fun for us as well as we speculate on what could happen. There's certainly a lot more possibilities at five, and I think we'll get into those possibilities into the next segment. It is worth acknowledging, though, that if they do win and everyone else picking in the top 10 loses, their pick goes all the way down to 10 because there are a bunch of teams sitting at five or fewer wins. And if they all lose, the Bengals at five, 10 and one have a better record than all of them, except for maybe Philly. So there will still potentially be a tiebreaker with Philly that could put them at nine instead of 10 if they both win. But A lot can change. The Bengals could go from picking third to picking 10th. I think that's unlikely. The most likely outcome, as we've outlined, is somewhere between four and six, certainly, and most likely right in the middle of of those picks at five. And as we've both mentioned, James, if they do stay at five, I think things get pretty open. There's a very, very slim chance that Sewell makes it to five. There's a slimmer chance, I think, that the Bengals trade up for an offensive tackle And the other options get really interesting because there's no elite pass rusher. I'm not sure if there's another top 10 tackle or not. One of these guys having a really good year like Christian Derisaw from Virginia Tech could get into the top 10. A guy like Rashawn Slater that some evaluators really like from Northwestern could get into the top 10, but other people see him as a guard. So is it wide receiver? Is it corner? Is it Kyle Pitts? The options really open up. Is it a trade back from five, right? So that does get really interesting. And we'll talk about some of those possibilities in the third segment of the show coming up next. The holidays can be a pretty tiring time of year. The Bengals just broke through seemingly a huge wall. They just got two wins in a row. That's pretty amazing for Zach Taylor. They just got their first road win under Zach Taylor. They've broken through their wall. What's your wall? No matter what it is, mental, physical, break through it with Go every day. You can take it with you in their one and a half ounce convenient packages, throw it in your briefcase, slide it into your pocket to get through the day. It's the best workout gel on the market. It's five hour energy without that crash feeling later. And it's natural. It's going to be better for your body. Monster energy drink with a third of the caffeine. And better results. They've got three delicious flavors you're going to love. Peanut butter, honey, chocolate coconut, chocolate mint. Combines collagen protein with a boatload of vitamins, vitamin B, beta alanine, a little kick of caffeine, and collagen to promote some joint soft tissue, hair and skin health. 
Go check it out at BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED. You'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED at BuiltGo.com. 20% off. Let's go. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Mock Draft Monday, Jake. Mock Draft Monday. The Bengals set to have the fifth pick with one week to go, like we talked about. I want to dive into this and talk about suddenly a... A, a crazy amount of possibilities, right? It was you're we were locked in on Penny Sewell and locked in on the Oregon tackle, and that's what they're going to do with the third overall pick. Well, now they could draft as high as three, as low as ten, likely in between those two extremes, and that gives them a wide range of possibilities from wide receiver to maybe Sewell falls to tight end. I mean, I'm seeing all these different positions being thrown out there for the Bengals. I don't even know which of them I would want the most. I mean, this is a team that needs talent. They have some starting position needs that I hope they fill in free agency. Our our old friend Joe Goodberry has a great tweet about this today, actually, James. He's got the Bengals need starters at left guard, right guard, right tackle, wide receiver, defensive tackle. Of all of those positions, I think the only ones that might fit your value at that early of a pick or wide receiver and right tackle. You're not going to pick a guard in the top 10 if you're the Bengals, and I don't think there's a defensive tackle that warrants that selection in the 2020 draft. Joe's tweet points out, though, and I think this is useful information, that depending on free agency, the Bengals might also need a starting defensive end. They might need a new starting linebacker, although I think that one's a bit more of a stretch. They might need a new starting cornerback. That's a big one. They might need a new starting nickel cornerback. They also in Joe's opinion, need more talent at center, if you want to, tight end, edge rusher, defensive tackle. So those things in mind, this draft is not top heavy in many of those positions. You're looking potentially tight end, potentially wide receiver, potentially corner, or potentially trading out of the pick. And here's what I don't want to see. I don't want to see them let William Jackson walk and then draft a corner at fifth. I don't want to see them create a need for themselves and then draft immediately to fill that need. I want to see them get the most talented player they can, whether it's trading back or not, at the fifth or trading back to whatever pick. I don't really want to see them trading up, not for a tackle. I think you trade up for quarterbacks generally in the first round. So, James, what do you? Where's where are you leaning right now? What do you want to see? Whatever makes Joe Burrow's life easier. Because Joe Burrow is the franchise and Joe Burrow is going to, this franchise is going to go as far as Joe Burrow takes them. So we don't really know. And we're not going to know this year if Zach's the guy, we're not going to know if that, you know, if this coaching staff is going to be the solution and the cure that, that ails the Bengals right now as they search for playoff success and not just that, but maybe a Super Bowl one day. But we do know, at least we think we know that Joe Burrow is that guy. And so how do they make his life easier? It could certainly be a tackle, and I get that. 
but it could also be a wide receiver. It could also be a tight end. And so that's where I lean. If I had to pick three positions, those would be the three positions that they go in this draft. And, And really, the tackle spot, when you're talking about a top 10 pick, at least to me, it's Sewell, and that's it. Tight end, it's obviously Kyle Pitts, and that's it. And then wide receiver is interesting because I think you have two or three guys, and it, it's what what's your flavor? Jalen Waddle is going to be in that mix. Obviously, Devonta Smith is going to be in that mix from Bama, and the stats he's been putting up and is as productive as he's been for the Crimson Tide. And then Jamar Chase. And uh, if anybody knows Jamar Chase well, it's Joe Burrow. And, and so that's the, the key here. Uh, so maybe I've just narrowed it down to five players, but those are kind of the five that I would have my eye on wherever they're picking, because I think it can make Joe Burrow's life easier. And then the one that they don't go with, let's say they go with a receiver and not a tackle. Well, then you address that in free agency before the draft or vice versa. Let's say they're, they get the third pick and they think they're going to take Sewell. Well, then maybe you go wide receiver and free agency. But I, I think that those are, are three spots that can really raise the ceiling of this offense and Kyle Pitts is kind of the outlier because I'm not sure there's any tight end in free agency. And it's, I'm not going to pretend that I've looked at all of them, but I'm not sure there's a tight end in free agency that's going to come available that's going to have the impact that he could possibly have for Burrow in this offense. The thing about tight ends, too, is that even the great ones like TJ Hawkinson looks like a perfect tight end prospect. It's taken him some time. Noah Fant mm-hmm. looked a lot like a lot of people, I think, thinks Kyle Pitts looks. I think Pitts is probably a little bit better. But crazy athlete. I mean, he ran a 4-4, just absolutely bonkers numbers at the combine in pretty much every test, jumped out of the building. And I think people expect Kyle Pitts to do the same thing. But those guys took some time. And a lot of times, as many people have pointed out, you know, you just go draft the most athletic tight end you can find in round four, and you hope that he puts the rest together because all these guys take development time. And if you just get a great athlete, and they hit, well, now you got Antonio Gates. Not saying you can just draft an athletic tight end and get Antonio Gates, but you fall <laughs> into it a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times these these premium picks at tight end, you know, aren't always the best tight ends in the league. It's kind of a weird position. So I, I'm not sure where I'm at on Kyle Pitts yet. I think that he's a really interesting name to talk about, though. Well, and the Bengals did it with Jermaine Gresham way back in 2010, a decade ago. Look at that draft class. And the tight ends that went past him and, and after him from a talent perspective. Yeah. You got Rob Gronkowski, right? Second rounder. Uh Gresham had, had injury issues, but I think he was, yeah, he was the first tight end off the board out of Oklahoma. Aaron Hernandez, we know his off the field, but on the field, he was a stud. And, and he went afterwards as well. So it, it's I, I do think it's a harder position to translate, but the the, the reason I would consider it uh into have a to translate right away and have a, a big impact right away. But but the reason I'd consider it is because of Joe Burrow, right? And because, like, can he be Darren Waller? Because if he can, who wouldn't want Darren Waller catching passes from Joe Burrow? I mean, it's match made in heaven. Sign us all up, right? So I get the intrigue, but to me, he would have to really wow me and be light years ahead of Jamar Chase, light years ahead of Devonta Smith, light years ahead of Jalen Waddle for me to go that route. And he's not going to play in line for you because – He just isn't very good at it, at least not initially. So you're drafting a guy that is, you know, similar to Auden Tate in a way. Like, obviously, there's a lot more you can do with Kyle Pitts. But, you know, other teams maybe just treat him as a wide receiver. 
because that's effectively what he would be for you. And he could be a very good, very big wide receiver. I'm just not sure I'm drafting that. Like, say he's Tyler Eifert and Tyler Eifert's best year. I'm not sure I'm drafting that at five because even in Tyler Eifert's best year, he wasn't getting you down the field very often. He was catching touchdowns prolifically. He was converting third downs. He was great, and I loved him. And Tyler Eifert was one of my favorite players in terms of what he did on the field. But, you know, he was, he was a great pick at like 15 or 10, and he went later than that to the Bengals. So he was a great value pick that year. I, I don't think they have that luxury this year. I, I don't think I'd be upset if they took Kyle Pitts. But let, let's look at a scenario, James. Dane Brugler at The Athletic has a mock draft up. He just did the top 10. And he has Trevor Lawrence going first. Obviously, he has Zach Wilson, the QB from BYU, going second. He has Jamar Chase going third to Miami. Ooh. Which, you know, yeah, that's a little bit tough to stomach, I guess, if you're the Bengals. He has Penny Sewell going fourth to Atlanta. <laughs> and, and you know, you, you go look at uh, Kyle Krabs at the draft network. He has Atlanta going with a tackle or not with a tackle. He has Atlanta going with a quarterback because it is a bit of a crossroads for Atlanta right now. And I am not going to pretend that I know Atlanta's needs or, or what they will do well enough to really project this spot. I think that Atlanta is a bit of a wild card at four. Do they give Matt Ryan one last go? Do they go quarterback? Do they go defense? You know, you could easily see them going with, a guy like Caleb Farley, a cornerback. You could see them going Micah Parsons. I think I've seen a few drafts, the Penn State linebacker, Micah Parsons, going to Atlanta. I, I really don't know what Atlanta's going to do yet. I'm not, I'm not at that stage of the offseason yet because it's still the regular season. But then at five, you've got no tackles that you really want to pick here. He writes that the Bengals could consider Rashawn Slater. He's his next best offensive tackle. I think Christian Derrissaw might get up there for a lot of evaluators. I think that'll be a really interesting name to watch. And I think Slater is too. Slater, of course, famously handled uh, Chase Young for Northwestern last year, the last time he played. What would you do here, James? Your best available wide receiver could be either Devonta Smith, probably Devonta Smith, maybe Jalen Waddell. You could go Kyle Pitts. And and outside of that, like if you're going edge rusher here, you're reaching, I think. You're, you're talking mm-hmm. about Quiddy Paye whose name I'm not sure how to pronounce yet, from Michigan, the edge rusher, Miami's Greg Rousseau. There's nobody that knocks you away at edge rusher for the fifth overall pick, in my opinion. Who would you pick? If if it plays out like this, I would love to get a Carolina to trade up, right? Who Who's also taking it. They take Trey Lance at nine. Oh, you want Trey Lance? Well, we'll trade up for Trey Lance because th- those names you just mentioned – could we see Pitts fall to nine? I think that's realistic. I don't think that's insane. I, I think Devonta Smith probably doesn't make it to nine, but you never know. Maybe someone likes Jalen Waddell. Heck, Henry Ruggs is the first receiver taken in this past year's draft, right? Uh, it, it's you, you never know. So that would be my first instinct there. If not, I look at this offense and I think about uh, a team that really needs to be ready to go. Like th- this idea that, oh, well, year two of of Joe Burrow coming off of injury, year three of Zach Taylor. And, and look, we're doing this in December. My gut tells me Devonta Smith, a guy who's uh, a veteran, a uh, great route runner, explosive, ready to go, played in big games, played in big moments, performed on the highest level. 
I get it. He's a buck 75. He's also played against the top competition for years at Alabama. Let's get him in here and let's ready to roll now. You know, he's obviously older than T. Higgins, but he fits your window to go right now. Joe Burrow on, you know, under center. You got Mixon in the backfield, Smith on one side, Higgins on the other, and in the slot, Tyler Boyd. I like the sound of that. And I think he could have, you talk about instant impact. I think he would have much more of an instant impact than Kyle Pitts. I might be dead wrong on that, but, but that's the way I would lean. I would go wide receiver. That could be the tiebreaker for Waddle, right? If you think that they're very similar prospects and you're concerned about Waddle's health, although it's just an ankle. He broke his ankle. He should be fine. Mm. I think he'll be ready for the combine, James, and I think he's really going to help himself. Sure, and I, I like Waddle a lot, and that's the thing. is like he could be the number one. He may go ahead of Jamar Chase. <laughs> and so we don't know that part of it. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that that part – Smith, Waddle, you know, it could be six on one hand, half a dozen on the other, and it really becomes who's ready or, or who do the Bengals prefer long term and short term. Outside of those possibilities, I'm with you on the trade back. I would be looking to get to the high teens, perhaps the low single digits, maybe, and look for a guy like Sam Cosme, who I really liked last year. I hoped he would come out last year at tackle. He was a guy I thought the Bengals could get in the second round and could be really good. He went back to school. He's been even better at Texas, and Texas throws the ball a ton. They could trade back and look at an edge rusher, although I'm with you, and I would prefer that they go offense early. And if it's not that, then it's like a guy like Christian Darisaw, who's been absolutely fantastic at Virginia Tech. I've talked about him a lot. I recommend that everybody goes and watches him. A lot of very interesting tackle names, I think, and the the fifth overall pick in this draft with all of the opt-outs that happened, I think it's really nebulous. And I think that's going to be very difficult to navigate, but there's a lot of time to figure it out. And I think free agency is going to have a lot to do with it too. A lot more to look at there. Tomorrow, James, let's take some questions for our final regular season mailbag of the 2020 year, the final mailbag of the calendar year 2020 as well. It's almost New Year's. Until then, Bengals fans, a who day, and have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.